Welcome to part three of Health System CIO's podcast interview with Robert Erdley, CIO at University Hospitals. In this segment, Erdley talks about why he believes consumers were willing to adapt so quickly to virtual visits, the valuable lessons he learned during his time at Houston Methodist about the power of focus, and how the flywheel concept can help guide leaders. And for something like that, how far out do you anticipate that to be? Or is that something that's kind of already in the works? Oh, that's in the works now. And I think we have a couple ICUs where they're some of our remote hospitals. They have ICUs physically. And so they have patients on the telemetry monitoring. They've got local nursing and local staff members there to take care of their needs. But they might not always be staffed at a level where they would have an MD physician monitoring their care all the time. And so we now would be able to run a monitoring from another location of an ICU that sits geographically disparate by 50, 60 miles. That is something that has occurred since this COVID pandemic, because in the past, if you ran an ICU, you did need to have a physician on staff there. What we were preparing for is in some of our outlying areas, if there wasn't either the time or the patient desire to drive 30 miles or their family's desire, we've now through the use of technology can set up an ICU at a remote location and we still have the expertise of a physician intensivist overseeing the care And in the past, we would have just not been able to set up an ICU structure if we didn't have it staffed 24-7 by an intensivist. Mm -hmm. And so this allows consumers to stay closer to home, which in many of their cases is their preference, while still receiving the care of a specialist in intensive care. Right. A couple other things, just to profile in this kind of move to virtual care, we're, we're now running what we call virtual office. This is probably at one point, I think it was about a third of our visits. And this is, you know, having a virtual appointment rather than an in-person appointment. As you may know, pre-COVID, there was a support of virtual care appointments, but in many cases that might've been a couple percentage points as far as the total, you know, which were virtualized. And then with the pandemic, we were starting to see, you know, upwards of 30% that were becoming virtualized. And uh, we've done that through a mix of technologies. What I think is uh, a bit creative, given the regulatory landscape that changed, is for our virtual office appointments, where we see the patient remotely with a video conference, we register that person in the same registration system we use for the rest of our enterprise, which is Cerner's Sorian product. And then we document mm-hmm. that care in our normal EMR, which for us is Allscripts TouchWorks. And then the only okay. thing that we have to connect in the middle is what we call a visual communication channel. So it, it's either doxy.me or it's a Zoom call or it's a FaceTime. And so we, we and CMS offered a lot of discretion about what technology could handle that visual communication channel. Basically think of like a, mm-hmm. a Zoom call or a, a FaceTime and as long as you can see and hear the person, so a video and audio feed, you know, more than a phone call, then uh, Medicare had stated that you, you could bill it basically at the same rate as if it was an in-practice visit with, with a special modifier. And so we went down that direction. So we've, uh, we've been seeing a lot of patients that way. 
and that is really independent or separate. We have a separate process for on-demand care. So if you go and you want an on-demand care visit, then we're partnered with a different technology company, MD Live in our case, to be able to have the infrastructure to be able to support the on-demand care where you can say basically you're waiting in line and you're waiting for the next provider of care in the next you know, seven to 10 minutes. That's a different use case than if you're scheduling Thursday's appointment at three o'clock with a provider that you already know, even if it's going to be virtual. Yeah, right. It's really amazing how much all of this has taken off. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> One thing that I, I do find is a lesson is people are really apt to uh, embrace change, embrace and absorb technology when it meets their needs and when it's simple and intuitive. And so I think we've gone so far here because it was an actual need people had. We weren't trying to convince them through change management concepts and theories, right? Yeah. They knew they didn't want to drive in the office and we'll, why not have a phone call or I Zoomed my grandchildren the other day. You know, why can't we do it yeah. that way? So I think it's a compliment to all of us as consumers of technology that we were willing to change so fast. And then the health systems basically have adopted the speed of what the consumers have been, been comfortable with is one way to think about it. Yeah. We've heard people say that there's no going back. And do you agree with that? Well, yes, I agree with that. The high level statement, I think that's a correct one. I think the, the nuance is going to be in two parts. One, on the regulatory side, as this moves forward, is Medicare and the insurance payers, they, they are likely not going to be as liberal and equivalent on the video visits as they have in these past three months. Mm -hmm. Right, and right. So if they prorated at 75% of what they pay for an inpatient visit, that is still to be known. So that's one big variable. And it, it's an important variable because before this shift, by and large, nobody paid for video visits. This is why for any health systems that were supporting it, it was usually a charge on the front end to your credit card, you know, $49, $69, $75, something like that. So that, that's one item, the payment side. And I guess we'll learn that together, what the future holds as far as adjustments to the payment scheme. Right now, it's uh, reimbursement equivalent to an inpatient visit. So that's important. In the future, there probably was an excessive kind of adoption of virtual care, given the reasons we just stated. But if it went to 30% or 40% of its peak, it won't go back to 2% like we were seeing before. But is it realistic to expect that we're going to kind of equalize around, you know, 10, 15%? I would think, of course, maybe it pulls back some. I'll generalize of, you know, maybe it pulls back half, but it still will settle around 15 or 10% in my, my view. Right. And that, that makes sense. And it will probably split, again, based off need. If you need to go in and you need to have a blood specimen, a urine sample, a pathology tissue taken, some of that stuff is just physical by nature. And so right. yeah, I exactly. have a video visit to then be told, oh, you need to come to our office to drop off or have a blood specimen taken, right? You'd prefer to do it all at one fell swoop if you didn't have this virus concern at play. So those might be physical because you want it all in one. You want it convenient and then do everything at one time, including possibly the weight scale and other 
physical attributes, looking at your skin for any lesions, et cetera. Some of that's practical. What will stay virtual would be kind of the surgical follow-up. And in many cases, the surgical follow-up is we did the surgery a week or three weeks ago. How are yeah. you feeling? Any infections, anything red, itchy, any concerns from the yeah. surgery? And if it's like, no, I feel better every day. I don't have any undue infection concern that I can distinguish, then that's probably one where it's a check-in and it's a whole lot of wasted time for you to drive into the orthopod's office to say you're feeling fine. Thank you. Right, right. Yeah. So that's probably where we get into an equilibrium of, you know, what's the need? And if the need is just to get a prescription for pink eye, that's probably going to stay virtual. And so that, that's what I think we'll have to figure out together that we as consumers and as health systems, you know, which of these are just by their nature a little bit more physical visits uh, in some capacity and which ones can be very efficiently run virtually. Right. Well, I did want to get into a little bit about um, your career. And you have been at university hospitals for... A little okay. over two years. Okay. All right. And then uh, previously you were with Houston Methodist for a good chunk of time. So I imagine that uh, having that experience at a different organization and then coming back, can you talk about how that affected you or how that changed maybe your perspective a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So it did affect me greatly. I was in consulting prior to joining University Hospitals back in 2006, and I was with University Hospitals in IT from 2006 to 2011, most of that time as associate CIO. And I got a sense of University Hospitals, we were in a large growth spurt called Vision 2010 at that point, with many service lines and physical locations growing. And then in 2011, the summer of 2011, I took the um, Senior Vice President CIO and chief information security officer role with Houston Methodist. Houston Methodist is a first-class organization that does things right. I learned really the power of focus and the power of knowing what one's organization is. And so in the seven years that I was there, we had some big milestones of uh, opening a data center, redesigning our website, making a push of population health, and yes, doing a business case and migrating to an integrated EHR with Epic. But we were, there was an intensity of focus of what needed to be done. And then we executed well on that. You know, as I return to UH in 2011, I guess I'm committed to bring that same focus and intensity on our work here on behalf of our providers, patients, and community because there are some critical needs that we have within IT as we are really in 2020. The infrastructure, we are the fundamental way organizations work. Not as IT, the division, but IT as a computerization of clinical and work processes. And so I think we really need to take a, a hard look at how we bring simplification to the, the patient's chart the EHR enterprise. I think we have to really look at what the future would be around the personalized consumer experience, or you could call this the patient portal in short, but really that personalized consumer experience. And then a third one would be analytics, but really 
to tap into the full tool set of some of the cloud analytic providers. And the tool set with some of the cloud analytic providers, I think, is, is pretty compelling. And once you get into this data scientist community and the statistical side of analytics, that's really important. So I think those three things are items that I would bring back, really along with maybe a fundamental understanding that the engine of the success is a really quality team that you have. Um, mm -hmm. So to invest in the team first, which is built around trust, everything else stems off that. And so I certainly want to um, be able to have that be one of the key items that we do here at University Hospitals. Right. And you look at these really fascinating directions in which the industry is going. And in light of that, what is it that you value most in people who are on your team and who you could see as being future leaders? I guess it's the vision of what's possible, the vision of tying it all together, making sense of the portfolio, not as one product that needs to be maintained, version upgrade, have the security, uh, you know, updated SQL database and the like. Those are critical mechanics. But I think the vision of knowing what's possible, the awareness of what's happening in the industry, both industries, healthcare industry, as well as the technology industry around a lot of the popular trends. And I guess just a design thinking and a creative mindset to be able to say what's possible, let's choose to do things first class. And um, ultimately, I'll defer back to a quote that I have as a footer to every one of my IT strategic plan slides, and that's a great Jim Collins quote, and it's from the book, Good to Great, but he talks about the flywheel model, how good successes start to build on each other, and you get positive momentum, just like a big, heavy flywheel has positive momentum going forward, working for it. So in this concept of the flywheel model, he has a quote that breakthrough results come about by a series of good decisions, diligently executed and accumulated one on top of another. Mm. And that quote is my inspiration to challenge ourselves as leaders of, are we making good decisions now that can sit on top of a good decision later on top of another good decision? And if you make a series of mostly good decisions, that build on top of each other, then you really go places. If you're just working on the next project on time on budget, and it's not in context of this breakthrough result flywheel model, then I think we can all be at risk of missing the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I like that quote. I'm going to have to read some of his material sometimes because I've heard a lot of good stuff attributed to uh, Collins. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's, it's fairly modest. But it, it was his thoughtful analysis of a lot of what end up being public company stock prices because they're researchable over, over time. And, and those right. that have had the biggest result breakthroughs is it's a bunch of good decisions built on top of each other. They, they execute well, and then they accumulate. And, and certainly Amazon is one easy, very popular if we, we work backwards from the vision, then it's putting steps in place to get there with a modest recognition that any of these decisions are really just going to be in the camp of a good decision. And then when you make a number right. of those, that's when it really starts to uh, differentiate yourself. Right. 
Okay. Well, I apologize. I've held you for a while, but um, really appreciate your time. And this has been a really great discussion. So I want to thank you so much. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, Kate, thanks for reaching out to me. Okay, great. I will. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thanks for today. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.